The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. How do you keep your brain working better longer? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. So we look inward a lot on this show, but not like at our organs. So this week, I wanted to start looking at the science behind what makes us better humans, beginning with our brains. Our brains are, of course, organs, and they need proper care for us to become and to remain optimal. So my guest today is Dr. Mark Milstein, who's become a bit of an expert on brain health. He's a PhD and he's a researcher, and he wrote this book called The Age-Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory, Protect Immunity, and Fight Off Dementia. Now, I'm in my 30s, and to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time actively thinking about the fact that my brain is even aging. But according to Dr. Mark, maybe I should. We sat down to talk about all things health and how mental health and physical health are more intertwined than we think about. The goal of the book is to have people feel empowered, that there's things that they can do each day, little things that can protect their brain both in the short term and the long term, meaning that just thinking about our day-to-day mental health and especially after what you know we've all been through the last couple of years and being aware that that's not only important for our day-to-day wellness, but also we see that if depression and anxiety aren't treated or they're not managed properly, that it increases the risk of dementia down the road. So we have all these new insights about you know scientifically based actionable steps that we can do to protect our brain and, and really being aware that it, we don't want to put off these steps um, because we have a lot of hope and evidence that if we do these things now, we can protect our brain now and down the road. I actually think that most people don't even think about their brains, like don't think about the parts of our bodies that we have to or uh, could benefit from keeping healthy. And I also think, you know, when it comes to you mentioned anxiety, depression, I think there's a lot of stigma, right, around um, mental health. This is going to sound so silly, but can you just talk about why we should care and think about our brains on a regular basis? Yeah, definitely. I, it's not silly at all. I think what you said is very true, that we live in a world that is filled with so much distraction on so many levels that we can forget <laughs> that uh, we need to take care of our brain and we need to think about it even before we notice any changes. Um One way I like to think about it is that if you look out at the ocean and you see the waves, those waves could be the symptoms of memory loss or any symptoms of any, you know, mental health issue. And if you look past the waves, it seems calm. But beneath the surface, waves are there. We just don't see them until they get close enough to the shore. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by this is that sometimes things can be happening, you know, years or decades in our brain and in our body before we'd ever see the symptoms. And that's not a, a message mm. to scare us, but it's a message to say that if we can think about taking action now and, and realize that our brain is precious, <laughs> it's it, we don't get a second one, there's no transplants, and that we want to be aware that the things that we do each day do add up um, over time. And we can 
have control over our, our cognitive or our brain's destiny and thinking about that, you know, our brain isn't just controlling our thinking, it's controlling our movement and our balance and our emotional state and our ability to make decisions. And, and we start realizing how it is, a, it's the centerpiece. And, and then one step further is that we realize that it's not just about doing crossword puzzles or doing a brain game. Taking mm -hmm. care of your brain is about taking care of your gut and your heart and, and being social and, and these things that are part of this, um, you know, a puzzle that we want to put together and how do we integrate them into our day to day. Yeah. So I had a recent conversation where we talked about the fact that it was with a therapist. We were talking about the fact that um, we think so much about our physical health, right? Like, for example, was if you hurt your arm and you feel like it could be broken in some place, you don't just go sit at home and hang out, you know, and, and hope it gets better. You go straight to the emergency room Yeah. where in the case of challenges with um, with emotions or issues with the brain, we don't tend to actually take ourselves to any sort of like brain or uh, emotional or mental health hospital unless it's something that's like so far down the line that it has to happen and it's an emergency. What can we be doing sooner rather than later to protect against some of these things that are caused by stress, by depression, by the intensity of the world we live in now? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such an important conversation and such an important thing to think about. And what you said is very true. This idea that we tend to think of pain, physical pain is something that we address, you know, right away. But if we think about the signals that our brain sends us, one of them is the feeling of being lonely or being isolated. And we want to start mm. thinking about that feeling like pain, that we want to address it. It's our brain telling us that we need to take some action, just like we would take action with physical pain. We would, as you said, we'd go to the hospital, we'd go to the doctor. And so if we're feeling isolated, if we're feeling lonely, if we're feeling anxious, these are messages that our brain is sending us to say that we need some social interaction. We need to think about what's our purpose or remind ourselves of these things or seek actionable steps to, to address them. Because we know that feelings of isolation and loneliness are serious risk factors for depression and anxiety. They are also risk factors for dementia. It's something we don't talk about enough, but we want to, as you say, just be aware of these signals, be able to say, wait a second, I'm having these feelings. And in a world with so much distraction, where we're, you know, onto the next, onto the next, we're on two, three screens at the same time. Sometimes we don't have a moment to check in and say, wait a second, how am I actually feeling? Or how am I feeling today versus yesterday as these feelings progress to take action before they can spiral quickly out of control? We don't want to be afraid of negative emotions. We just want to make sure that they're being managed. And that's really an important uh, thing to start thinking about. Yeah, I can remember um, I, I, it was last year in the winter and, you know, you're in California, lucky you. Um, <laughs> but in New York, you know, it, we get the real winter. And so it's cold and it gets dark early. And, you know, I, I'm definitely someone who's affected by the weather. And I can remember with a number of other things happening, recognizing for one of the first times that I was feeling lonely. Um, and I don't want to say that being alone is the same as being lonely. And I also believe that being with other people, you can still feel lonely. But I remember experiencing loneliness and going, oh, my God, I don't want to think about this. And so I spent a lot of time trying to run away from the feeling versus just turning towards it and saying, okay, now this is a feeling. So I love that you say to treat some of our emotions just like kind of the physical pain. Like, okay, this is just my brain saying, 
hey, you need to pay attention to this instead of, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of it or making meaning out of what people would think of you if you had this experience or if they knew you did. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that can be very helpful is is thinking about sometimes we don't have to have emotions about the emotions, if that makes sense, that we can take a a moment (laughs) and say, wait, I'm having this feeling and I can almost analytically say to myself, oh, I'm feeling the feeling of isolation okay, I need to take action as if I had stubbed my toe. Um, And Mm -hmm. what you said is also very true that you can be surrounded by people and feel lonely, or you can be alone and not feel lonely. It's how meaningful specific relationships are. Do we feel heard? Uh, Do we feel like that person is supportive? Do we feel like that person is there for us at our best and and at our worst? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and And are they there to be that person that I feel like I can rely on? And also, the sense of purpose is something we see in, in brain science a lot is that that seems to be something that can keep us lowering feelings of isolation is just, you know, volunteering, mentoring, and finding that a singular meaningful relationship and also be a pet. We see evidence of that, too, mm. that, that th- these things can make a big difference. Yeah. So tell me, I'm maybe going to sound a little elementary here, but um, I do still think that we haven't fully as a society come to understand, accept, and then behave around the idea that all of the parts of our body are actually connected, Mm -hmm. that we need to monitor and pay attention to our gut health, that we need to think about heart health, that we need to think about brain health, and that they're all sort of working together. Can you talk about how they all work together and what are some things we can do to maintain that sense of health? Yeah, absolutely. That is the key essence of the book, um, is to really put these puzzle pieces together. Because what we realize is that, you know, Unfortunately, we don't at this point have the best treatments specifically, for example, for Alzheimer's. But what we do see is that people who have a healthy heart, they have a lower risk of developing dementia and Alzheimer's. I always like to you know, find some sort of a fun fact. And one fun <laughs> fact is that your, your vessels in your veins, just yours, if you were to wrap them around the earth, it would go around the earth more than twice. Hmm. And so the idea is, is that those vessels and veins are sending oxygen and you know, key elements to and from your brain. And if those vessels and veins aren't functioning properly with a healthy heart, even little dips in oxygen can throw off our ability of our brain to function. Oxygen is like the the fuel that keeps our brain running. So all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait a second, if I don't have a healthy heart, it's virtually impossible to have a healthy brain. And then we expand beyond that and we say, wait a second, our gut, our gut is actually sending signals to our brain and our brain is sending signals to our gut. It's a two-way street. Things can leak out of our gut in terms of like inflammation or or toxins. They get into the bloodstream from the gut and you can imagine them traveling up through the blood and they make their way to the brain. And they can confuse aspects or elements that are in our brain to start attacking our own brain. Mm-hmm. So our immune system or, or elements of our immune system, our brain can become confused because of things that are emanating or beginning or coming from the gut. And they can start attacking our brain and damaging our brain. And then it makes those brain cells damaged and they don't function as well. And so we start to realize that all of these pieces of the puzzle play a profound role and it's really hopeful because we have good treatments for heart health. We have good mm-hmm. treatments for gut health. And so this is where we can really leverage and say, okay, if I can just take care of those things, you know, with some really simple things, I can protect my brain. And four things that really make a difference are really thinking about how well you're sleeping, uh, what you're eating, some exercises that are important, and thinking about stress. Not, not being afraid of stress, but just being able to manage it so it's not overwhelming. Okay. So... 
Let's talk about food. When you think about the sliding scale of what people have access to when it comes to food, what are recommendations that you can make to us um, to support our gut, brain, and heart health? Yes. So when it comes to food, it gets super complicated super quick because Mm. there's so many fads. There's so many new diets. I mean, you go just talk to anybody and they tell you they're trying this, they're trying that. You know, they're eating only during <laughs> these hours, they're only eating this type of food. And so really, if we if we just boil it down to some really practical things, we actually see a lot of evidence that a Mediterranean-like diet is extremely heart, gut, and brain healthy. And it's really a Mediterranean lifestyle. So it's you know, not only what you're eating, but being social when you're eating, walking to a meal and away from a meal. But if we just think about what's on our plate, if we just as a really good first step, it's just most of the time thinking about seeing a rainbow. And I I wish that meant Skittles, but it doesn't mean Skittles. It means more like colorful fruits and vegetables, because what we're seeing is that the studies suggest that it's the interaction of the chemicals healthy chemicals. I don't want to use that word in a derogatory term. Some people are afraid of that word, but uh, factors that are in the food that actually synergistically, they work together in a beneficial way so that different colors of food, seeing a rainbow of of vegetables and fruits at most meals, those compounds work together and actually help brain health, uh, help gut health. Um, So it's, it's variety. And it's also, I like to say, minimally processed food most of the time. So if you're eating food that's packaged, you know, just look at the package. If it looks like a chemistry experiment gone wrong, if you're like, I can't uh-huh. even pronounce this stuff. What is this even food? That's a red flag. And we want to say that most of the time, whole natural ingredients, um, fiber, fruits, vegetables, lean meats can be great too. You know, there's an individualized aspect to this, but that's a really great first step because we clearly see that those additives and preservatives end up in our gut and can cause that inflammation that can leak out and spread to the brain. So first of all, I've been following Dr. Mark Hyman for a while, and so that's sort of what got me into this idea of paganism, which the two things that I took away, which sounds similar to what you're saying and and aligned, is do the foods you eat have five or less ingredients? And could your grandparents, he says, could your grandparents have made this item Mm -hmm. in their kitchen? And so I kind of, I like to use that as like my barometer for what I'm buying. While I also, by the way, feel like there's a balance. Like a friend of mine said, you know, during the week, I eat like I want to be around a while. And on the weekends, I might have a little bit of fun. Yes, that's a very similar um, way of thinking. It is important to be aware that you know, the diets that are too restrictive often fail. And so Mm -hmm. there has to be, and it's different for different people, but thinking about having some balance and saying to yourself, you know, we have to live, we have to enjoy the things that we enjoy. That's why I try to say most of the time, most of the time, try to stick to the things. I like how you said it, um, that I want to live longer and I want to be around a while. I want to feel my best. Uh, But there are definitely times where we need to celebrate, we need to have fun, we need to, um, we need to indulge because if we don't do that, there are actually studies that suggest that people tend to go off their diet and not return. So, you know, everybody is different. But a nice thing that I like to think about is, for example, think about walking to go get your ice cream, walking to get your cookies Mm. instead of having it in the house where it's very hard to resist it. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to have that treat, but I'm going to go walk and get it. I'm going to park my car a little bit farther from the ice cream shop, go for a walk before and after so that I enjoy this treat. Um, But I try to fit it into an overall healthy lifestyle. 
my whole thing has been I've tried diets. It's never worked. I am I have my own things of like I I really if I want something I want it. And so I've had to figure out how to deal with my impulses. But I feel like I've found a lot of foods that I can cook and make that taste really good. So I found that balance. So actually desire treats less. But if I don't give myself the ability to have the treat, I've got a pint and like Netflix (laughs) the next night. You know, it's it's happening immediately. Exactly. Yeah, it's very true. And then what you said is very true also is that we can take foods and, you know, with a little bit of a YouTube video here, there are a cookbook. Um, There are definitely ways to make food that we tend to think of as not good. (laughs) It tastes really good. What do you say to people who say, I don't have the time or the resources or the energy to cook and make uh, foods that need to be cooked and prepared because they're, you know, natural foods like fruits and vegetables? I understand. And, and I, I would say, like, let's start anywhere we can, because even little changes can be a, a big difference when it comes to our brain health. What we see is that the way we prepare things is important. We can meal prep. We can, you know, set aside some time uh, one day a week or, uh, you know, a little bit of time to prepare meals for the week. There's grab and go options that are minimally processed at the grocery store now um, in terms of vegetables, fruits, you know, bananas, nuts are one of the most brain heart healthy things and gut healthy things is just nuts. I mean, that's a really great start. And it's that's something that can be done very quickly on the go. We're going on a quick break. While we're away, take a second to think about one change you might make in your lifestyle to help keep your brain healthier longer. Maybe it's walking to and from your meals or getting a little more social when you eat. Perhaps it's just eating a little more Mediterranean-y, if that's even a word. When we get back, How moving your body helps your brain. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing. We're changing. And there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Dr. Mark Milstein. 
what piqued my interest about what you said is Mediterranean lifestyle, not diet. Um, and you mentioned the social aspect of food, which I think is really, really cool. I'd love to hear you talk a bit about that, but also like the walking to and from our meals. Is that the exercise piece or do you have a lot more to add into the exercise part of uh, how we maintain this level of health? Yeah, so we know that exercise helps our heart, helps our gut, helps us sleep, helps our brain. It's just, it's the benefits are astounding. And we know that there's different types of exercise that that are, are good and some are better than others. But one thing to think about is walking. We have this data that shows that um, walking about 30 minutes a day lowers the risk of dementia by about 60%. And it doesn't have to all be done at the same time, just getting 30 minutes of walking in a day. If you have to drive or if you have to take a subway or you have to take a bus, you could still you know, get off a stop earlier or you could park a little bit farther away or just finding ways to get about 30 minutes of walking in a day. And people always ask, does it really matter if I walk? Like, can I just do other things? Well, mm-hmm. we're actually seeing some really interesting studies that suggest that there's something about walking specifically where when the foot hits the ground, it sends what we're calling a pressure wave up to our heart, which synchronizes our heart and our brain to work properly together. Mm. So we've evolved to, to walk, and it's a really important piece of, of our overall brain health um, and something that, that we can do other things as well, but want to prioritize some type of walking throughout the day. So we don't have to be doing like CrossFit, HIIT training, Pilates, like all all this stuff that gets kind of thrown in. It sounds like we don't have to do all of that to maintain this kind of basic level of health. Yeah, you don't have to do, we don't have to run marathons. We don't have to run triathlons. Intense exercise in bursts can, in small doses, actually can be quite good for our brain and for our mental health. Um, but what we see is the threshold mm. to, to a lot of protection is getting your heart rate up for about 15 to 18 minutes most days. And that can be a brisk walk. We actually see that mm-hmm. people um, who have what we call a faster gait, which is like they walk a little bit faster. If you take a, a picture or you scan their brain, they tend to have a younger looking brain. And that's what we really want is we want a mm. brain that's younger than our actual age. And so walking and walking a little bit faster, we don't have to power walk, you don't have to put on a headband and, and power walk everywhere you go. But even just you know walking down the street and saying, you know what, for this block, I'm gonna give it a little bit of an extra push. And then beyond that, Pilates, the yoga, those are all good. They're great and, and they can be part of a really healthy lifestyle. But we don't have to work out to the point where we're exhausted or we're like, I don't want to do this tomorrow. We really want to work out in ways that are energizing where we're like, that made me feel good and I want to do more of that this week. Yeah. So let's go back to the the final piece you shared in the Mediterranean lifestyle, which is the social piece. I'd, I'd be curious to know how we should approach this. Like for me, I'm I'm someone who I live by myself. Um, and so I'm eating meals if I'm not in the office. I'm eating meals sometimes with friends, but a lot of meals are, are alone. Like, is that something I should be thinking about differently? Should I just be getting out to, you know, a restaurant instead of ordering in on a night that I'm choosing to eat out? Um, how do I, how do we think about the social aspect of food and how that affects our, our health? That's a, a great point. And it, it, it actually, I, we can tie this also to the walk. So whether it's time to take that walk or whether that's time to have your meal, something to think about is a lot of times when we're going, you know, we, th- we think we're going to go out for a walk. We think we're going to have a meal. We tend to be on our phone and, you know, it's, it's just mm-hmm. so easy. The phones are so addictive. They're hard to put down and they've been designed that way. And so that's kind of an in-between state where we're, you know, might be catching up on some work emails or we might be looking at some websites or some social media. But are we truly 
either relaxing, like taking a break and restoring ourselves and our energy levels, or are we taking this time to really be engaged with somebody and talk to them? So for example, if you're going to be eating, there's nothing wrong with looking at your phone when you're eating. That, that, that can be okay sometimes, but taking some time and saying, wait a second, how am I feeling? Like what we talked about at the beginning, do I feel like I'm actually feeling a bit isolated, maybe a bit lonely? Maybe this is a time to reach out to a friend or a family member or, or somebody that I could say, let's go have a meal together and put the phones away and actually have that face-to-face conversation. Or am I exhausted? Am I worn out? Have I had enough uh, social interaction and I just need to be alone? Mm-hmm. And there's something called mindful eating, which is just when you eat, mm-hmm. just you know, taste the food, have that experience. Oftentimes, we don't even realize that we're full because we're so distracted. We're on our phone, we're on a device, we're watching television. And okay, again, there's moments where that can be good, but taking a moment and saying, wait a second, this walk or this meal, this is a time for me to just you know, feel the ground at my feet, feel the wind at my face if I'm on a walk or if I'm eating, really enjoy the taste of this food, really enjoy each bite, the sensation of it as a way to have a mindful break to check in on myself and really just restore my energy. Um, because if we're constantly on our screens or on, you know, media, it can be draining. And so assessing mm. which which times during the day or the week, each of those options are appropriate and then, you know, mixing them up depending upon how we're feeling. Okay. So a social dinner is not uh, scrolling on Instagram <laughs> or TikTok. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, can it be a phone call? It can be a phone call. It could be, a, it could be okay. a Zoom call, although that can get a bit awkward when you're watching people chew. Yeah. We can use technology <laughs> in a positive manner. There was actually a study that came out of Cedars uh, last year that found that people who did an exercise class online had lower levels of loneliness. And so, you know, we can embrace technology. Mm. There's times mm-hmm. to just scroll and mindlessly scroll and, and, and swipe and all those things. But just realizing that there's also times to just take a break and either have a moment of, you know, quiet, meditative uh, mindfulness, however somebody wants to approach that, or socially engage. We're actually, you know, having eye contact and talking to people and, and listening and learning and engaging. And so finally, what would be meaningful for us to know about sleep and what would be meaningful for us to know about stress? Yes. So sleep, uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. (laughs) And (laughs) and so I think that we could talk for hours about how important sleep is in so many aspects of our health. But I always just like to tell people that when you go to sleep at night, your brain is shrinking down to about 65% of its current size. And it's, I know it sounds like a horror movie, but it's squeezing out (laughs) all of the, the toxins and the trash that build up throughout the day. So just being alive, your brain fills up with waste byproducts of chemical reactions. And that waste, almost like a, a home or an apartment, if it builds up too much, it's hard to focus, it's hard to be productive, and it also can lead to significant brain health issues down the road. So every night when you go to sleep, your brain squeezes all this trash out by getting smaller. And then fluid comes up from your spinal cord and washes all this trash away. So every single night you give yourself a squeeze and a wash. And if we don't do that. You know, we, we feel this. If you don't get a good night's sleep, you wake up the next morning, you feel kind of foggy or fuzzy. That at its essence, part of what's happening is the leftover waste in the brain. So this is just, you know, for all these reasons, plus this one that is a bit bizarre, but profound is that we need to prioritize and optimize our sleep so that we can get a good brainwash every night, wash these toxins away um, and prioritize our sleep. And when it comes to stress, what we realize is that a little bit is okay. Uh, you know, I like to say your brain's like a car. If you don't drive it, it falls apart sitting in the garage. If you overdrive it, it falls apart. 
and it's that's how stress is as well that we actually want some cortisol it keeps our brain youthful it keeps us healthy it tells our brain and body that we're part of the action and we're, we need to keep things running smoothly and fine-tuned mm-hmm. um, but too much stress is too much cortisol and that actually can damage our brain cells i like to think of us as like a glass each of us is a glass stress is like water in the glass it's okay to have some water in the glass but if it overflows that's the problem and so what we want to do is we want to you know schedule breaks and say I need to check in. How am I feeling? I mean, it seems to be a theme of what we're talking about is checking in with ourselves. And this awareness is a really important first step in saying, wait a second, I need to connect with someone. I need to take a break. I need to be alone. I need to listen to my favorite songs. I need to go dance. (laughs) I need to play a sport. I need to do these things that I often put to the wayside, but they're important for my mental and physical health to to do these things. And, And really a message when it comes to the more we're learning about our brain is that we need to prioritize some fun each day because it's very easy, especially as we get older, to say, oh, that's not on the the to-do list today. But we want to put it back and make sure that we're even Mm -hmm. carving out some time for it. Okay. I'm going to ask you this because when you said prioritize fun, I don't think we know what fun is anymore. (laughs) What is fun? Like, how do we just do something that is purely, like, unadulterated, not messed with fun? Yeah, that's such. A, it's a good point. Joy. I think thinking about the feeling of joy, um, feeling the feeling of satisfaction, purpose is part of it too. When do you feel most alive? And that can be work related, but it also is. What are the things that I lose sense of time, and mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying this moment? And that could be you know watching your favorite team. It could be playing golf. It could be knitting. It could be playing a musical instrument. But it's those moments where time doesn't seem to matter and you're just truly feeling like you are living in that moment. Yeah, I I am obsessed with how we define things Mm -hmm. and because I think a lot can get lost in how we define things or choose not to define things. And then we may believe we're doing something one way when really it's being done another or we may be feeling one way when maybe we're actually feeling another. And so I think language is just really important. So I appreciate you just playing with me with that (laughs) one. Um, So, Mark, you've given so many strategies and tips that I think are simple, which is great for people to start thinking about, to get more conscious about their brain and their body, their gut, their heart. So I appreciate that being your piece of the puzzle. And with that, I'll have you answer these three statements. Um, Better humans are. Better humans, I would say, are able to admit their mistakes and apologize. Better work is. Better work is prioritizing the most important thing that needs to be done and delegating what other people can do so that they can do it and you can focus on just what you can do. Mm -hmm. And a better world has? I think a better world has us looking at things from other people's perspective before we just immediately think about our own. I think that we tend to easily jump to conclusions and judge and if I think if we can take one step back and say, what is that person as an individual or as a group going through that might inform why they're making certain decisions um, is an important step. And I think it's also part of brain health. I think that if we can start thinking this way, it actually ties into our own emotional state and our own emotional state ties into our overall brain health. All right, everybody. That was Dr. Mark Milstein, author of The Age-Proof Brain. One big thing before we go. 
What's sticking with me most are those two components of the Mediterranean lifestyle that I honestly hadn't thought about before. So it's not just what we eat, it's how we experience our meals both socially and physically. So I'm thinking now about how I can walk to more meals or go for an opera meal stroll and when and where I want to bring more people into the experience of enjoying and sharing a meal, even when I'm a little bit tired, burnt out, or drained from the day. If you are dreaming about how to create your own Mediterranean lifestyle, share this episode with someone you might want to break bread with and help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling us what you learned about your brain in this conversation. As always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien, Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show, Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video, Dave Pond is head of news production, Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn, and I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I will see you next week.